Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right. This week, we are going to be reviewing The Quest for El Dorado and another small game from Oink Games, which is Startups. And then Natasha has actually gotten the exit advent calendar, so she's going to chat a little bit about her progress through that. We are going to also be continuing on with the board game shenanigans, top 100 games of all time. The games are getting good. We got 20 through 11, two more weeks, and we're done. Yeah. But before we get into anything, this is the week of New Year's. So I have a question for you, Natasha. Uh Uh-oh, okay. You said you don't like Christmas. I I did not say that. You said Christmas is the worst. No. I'm not cool with Christmas. No, I did not say any of that stuff. Okay, well, Christmas is not your favorite holiday. You okay. did say that, okay? Sure. Okay, you don't like giving, You well, you don't like buying gifts for people. Yes, specifically okay. that. I like everything else about Christmas. I like decorating and the lights and the snow and all that stuff. Are you a fan of New Year's Eve? Do you do any, like, big extravagant, you know, no, parties or anything really like celebrate. that? No, Are you one of those people that, like, falls asleep, like, 10 30 at night and doesn't actually like stay up for the ball drop yeah, or anything like pretty that pretty much yeah i'm not a big partier so i don't stay up late and uh last year I, my daughter had a whole bunch of friends over that was fun and then we got them some fake champagne and then they all like pretended they were drunk and so they, <laughs> like they acted like they didn't pretend like it wasn't the intent but you could tell that like they were like being all goofy like we're drinking champagne like, yeah the yeah the it's the plus aka the placebo effect of drinking yeah, yeah. The they, knew it, was, they knew it was fake wine. but they still were like acting all goofy and silly are you kidding me when i when i remember when i was a kid and having that stuff you know i felt like i was hot so yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> yeah, i had got out my wine glasses and let them drink it out of the wine glasses so it was oh fun. so they were drinking it bougie style too yeah. <laughs> not out of a cup a little less. Oh, i didn't have hilarious. champagne i don't have champagne glasses but i had nice wine ones oh that's hilarious yeah it was weird last year um my daughter really is just in love with France, and that kind of and that comes from Ashley, my wife, because Ashley um, really loves France, and she's gone a couple times, and she actually went uh, last year. Uh, she went on like a yoga retreat out there, and one of the things, one of the things Lila, my daughter, wanted to do was she wanted to watch the ball drop, aka the ball drop, but she wanted to watch it in France. Oh, because they so do like, that? <laughs> so we had, like it's a like. Uh, it's like eight o'clock here, and we're like nice. <laughs> watching the ball drop in France. That is that's really smart, actually. That's yeah. something I would totally be on board with. Uh, it was hilarious, but yeah, I mean, it was one of those. It was one of those interesting things. But do you do like uh, New Year's resolutions or anything like that? Uh, not really. No. Uh, I don't necessarily call them New Year's resolutions. There are things that I try to work on year to year. Um, and a lot of times they're the exact same thing, like. I'm really terrible at remembering people's names. That for me, if you ever meet me out in public and we've met before and I don't remember your name, don't take offense. Like I just can't remember names. It is the most difficult thing. And I've tried working on that for like years and I'm better at it now than I was. But as far mm-hmm. as like a legit, oh, you know, 2023, this is, you know, the things I'm going to do. Not necessarily. I do have like goals. Like I do have a specific goal set couple goals set for uh 23 but aside from that no not 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 actually new year's resolutions how about you 
No, I don't do them. They feel really arbitrary to me, and I don't like putting that kind of pressure on myself. So I don't, I don't do anything like that. You don't like to give yourself goals or things to strive for in the new year or anything like that. Not, not on it. Not on the calendar year. You know, if I give myself goals, it might be like a different timeline. Like, what would be a timeline for you? Give me an example. Okay, I don't, I don't give myself goals. Fine, Bob. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm like legit. I just wanna. I just was. Cu- I'm curious. Like, what you got? Like, what's your, you know, what's your system that you got going on? I don't. I don't have one. I don't do stuff like that. Oh, so no. If self- I want to make a change, I just start making a change. Hmm. You know, and if I suck at it, then I just try to like make a different change. So instead of being so specific, like, you know, like a really big one, you know, I try to break it down a little bit, but I don't do anything based on like a set certain timeline or a certain annual review or anything like that. One of the things you mentioned when we first started this podcast is you wanted to play more games this year. I remember that you were just oh, like, I right. just want to play more and more games that year. So that I would consider that a goal for the sure. year. Did you accomplish that goal? I don't know. Let me look. Let's Bust see out the stat play. tracks. I do track. I do track my board games. So maybe there is one, you know, one thing in there that I can. Have you ever done a ten by ten where you play ten games ten times? No, no, I haven't. I've tried that like three years in a row and I've never succeeded. Jeremy's actually done a done a new thing where he has ten games that he's trying to get ten plays, but there's no time limit. So as soon as he's done with one that hits ten, he replaces it with a different game, which seems like a really good idea in order to actually make that work. Yeah, because otherwise you're just you're you're relying on peop other people. That's part of the difficulty of it. Yes. And you don't want to like kind of give up, but if you keep it open like that. Did you play more games this year? And I, I don't want you to go into too many specifics because I think what I would like to do is do kind of a twenty two wrap up in the next episode or two. Just yes or no, have you played more games? Yes, but only by a few. But it's not the end of the year yet. So That is true. We still have a little bit of time left. Are you gonna be able to like are you gonna crush it like okay how many additional games have you played thus far now i'm now i'm curious like screw this you're up by 12 yeah not very many considering i've played over 500 both years so 12 is not even i mean a couple percentages uh but 12 is bigger than zero it is you have so you have played more games (laughs) and i'm gonna play more this year still i'm not done fair enough so i might get up to like 20. <laughs> Look at you. What it is, it's all those games of the crew. That's what we need to do is just sit down mm-hmm. and play crew for an evening. And I haven't tracked I haven't tracked any of the unlock games that I've been playing with my son. And I'm really bad about tracking games I play with him in general. So I'm guessing I've played about 50 more games than I have actually tracked. Yeah, those are those are kind of tough, especially considering they're just like one and done. But you should could always rate your experience with them too, you know. That'd, that'd be another option, I suppose. Yeah, but. I guess I don't know why I didn't even include them in there. Well, talking about these unlock games and exit style games. So you got the exit advent calendar. Oh, yeah. And you've been you've been progressing for it. Have you been doing it every the one every single day? Almost. We had two days in a row that we skipped. Um, and so we did three one day. But other than that, we've done one every single day. Okay, and spoiler, this this recording is before December 25th, so you're not 100% done with it. Correct. So, so far, how would you rate your experience? All right, we love it. Max and I both love it. He he is an Unlock fan. I'm an Exit fan, so I didn't think he would like it quite as much, but he's been getting good at it, too. In the last two, he has solved on his own, and then the other one, he solved like most of it on his own. 
you know, so he's even getting better at it, which I really, I think is fun. I, I really like it a lot, actually. So I'm doing the um, Mystery of the Ice Cave, which I looks like it came out in 2020, actually. So um, I think we're maybe a year behind here or two years, I guess. I don't know. Um, but the Mystery of the Ice Cave is the one that we're doing. And uh, I really, really like it. It's 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 a nice little thing to do every day. Like it's a really small amount. It's just, it's just one little puzzle you're solving. Um, the way that they they um, do it is really, really cool. The system. So there's a, a number one on the first box and you have to open it. And then they give you this deco- decoder uh, slide thing. It's not like the decoder disc that's used in most of the exit games. It's just a slider where you slide the... you. Um, there's three different num- rows there. One of them's red, one of them's blue, and one of them's yellow. And then you, once you figure out the code, you slide the thing around and then flip it over. And then it tells you like, okay, go up one, over one, and diagonal one. And then that'll be your next box. And as long as the symbols match the symbols on the decoder, then you know that you've got it right. And you write like number two on that box. And then the next day you open that up and then you have got a little workbook that they have in there that you read like the storyline i will say the story is kind of lame and um the text is kind of long so every day i have to like read the next text and it's a couple paragraphs long which i think is way too long it should be like one sentence but i'm not a big fan of like the story text and the flavor and stuff so i that's the only negative but you could totally skip reading it my son just makes me read it well he's invested in the story he wants to know the outcome of what's going to be happening i guess it's a little meta too, because <laughs> which I won't spoil it, but it is. I will say it's a little meta. There's a there's one um, room that you go into that's got exit games in it, like on the shelves. It's kind of cute. So you use so you open up the little box, and then there's a room. Each each box is a room represents of this one. I'm not sure if that's true with all the advent calendars, but each um, box represents a room that you go into. So you have to look in the room for clues on the, in the room, and then they'll contain items at least one like riddle card and like some other random items that you need to use to solve the 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 code and then some of them you use the inside of the room some of them use the whole box they use a box a lot we've been cutting up the box um sometimes you'll get things that you have to cut up within the the booklet that you're getting with a story and then you cut things up um i really really like it a lot i highly recommend it so how long does it normally take you to do one day's puzzle i would say five to ten minutes at most a lot of them what i like i like the exit system the best because like the riddle cards give you a clue of what you need to do so they kind of like tell you what you need to do nudges you in the direction yeah opposed to like okay you're looking at this stuff and you're like what do i need to solve like they'll kind of give you a hint you know i like the hint system a lot with the exit games so they have they have three three like levels to their hint system so the first one is like all right you notice that they gave you um they'll they'll point out like the important things like notice that there's a there's a red item and a blue item and a yellow item do you think that's related to the decoder disc you know or the decoder what i don't know what you call it you know and so it kind of like oh that's what that means and then then if you but if you already knew that then you go to level two and that gives you a little bit more information like this is really kind of what you need to be doing and then the third one is like the answer and it shows you how you even got the answer. Cause some of the unlock ones, like I have no idea what to do, even with a hint. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And then like, I'll get to the answer. They'll tell me the answer. And I still don't even know how they got the answer. That's rare, but 
it's possible. What I just really like the exit system and the the clues and stuff. But we've been able to figure most of them out without using the hints. So if you were to recommend to somebody that hasn't tried the systems before, you would tell them to do the exit games first? They're just totally different. I, I personally like exit better. Yeah, I would recommend the exit games. And I'd recommend the advent calendar because the each... Uh, I think they're they're nice and simple. Each day is a nice, simple little puzzle. There's nothing that's crazy or too difficult. You can use the hint system. You, it's still satisfying. I think they're like the perfect puzzle that I like. Where like I have to think about it and figure it out, but I get to figure it out. You know, it's not too much. Fair enough. Yeah, I've I've often talked about how I'm not good at these like the puzzle type stuff in these types of games. But the more and more you've talked about, the more and more I want to just like grab a couple and just kind of try it. Even if I played solo, just to Mm -hmm. try to like do them by myself. Uh, Just because again, that the system seems, they seem cool. The, the one thing I will say is I'm, I'm naturally drawn to the unlock versions because I can always buy them secondhand. And there's something about buying an exit game secondhand where things have already been cut up that I'm just not. Yeah, I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't buy it secondhand. Right. Yeah. Just because I just I don't want to have to like I the part of the joy is figuring it out as you're playing. Right. So that's Mm -hmm. for me, that would be what I I would be more inclined to try the unlock system because I can pick up, you know, a handful of them secondhand and still be able Mm -hmm. to enjoy the experience. Yeah, exit, you cut up a lot of things, and then you also have to use a pen or a marker or a pencil and, like, write on a lot of things, too. So there's no way you're reusing this. uh, We also, like, destroyed the box. We cut out a big section of the box. We destroyed a lot of the doors. Uh, It's really kind of cool the way that they're using using the doors and the box as part of the, the system. You have to use those as hints for other clues, and then also... Also going back into previous rooms and looking at those doors and boxes, which is really neat. Yeah, it seems like a it seems like a cool system. I like it. And I like I like the advent calendar because sometimes like a ten minute puzzle is perfect. You know, you don't always want to sit down and like figure out a whole bunch of them, you know? But I like the the quick little ten minute a day. Yeah, it seems seems cool. Yeah. Why don't you rate it? Like what is your experience thus far? Ten. I give a ten out of ten. It's my my favorite. I like it better than um, all the other individual ones. Man, I didn't even have time to like finish out my whole thing. You were just like, 10, I give it a 10. I am into it. I'm going to buy all of them. I got a 10. I give it a 10. <laughs> nice. All right. Let's go ahead and get into uh, some some other reviews. Let's go ahead and talk about the quest for El Dorado. This is a deck building race game designed by Reiner Knizia, art by Franz Volwinkel and published by Ravensburger. In this game, players are explorers searching for the ancient lost city of El Dorado. They will be playing cards from their hands to move their adventurer closer to El Dorado, or purchasing new cards to help them on their quest. This is a straight-up racing game. The first player to reach the end will win. Before the game begins, players will set up the board by placing several large hexagonal pieces together. The pieces will have several different terrain types on them, like forests, lakes, deserts, which players will have to navigate with from the cards they buy. So on a player's turn, they will have four cards in hand, and they will play cards to either move their adventurer or use the cards to buy additional cards. To move your adventurer, you must match the movement on the grid with the cards in your hand. So for example, if you want to move on to a green hex that shows three machetes, you have to play green cards from your hand until you have placed enough cards that have three machetes on them. The other thing that you can do on your turn is you can buy cards. 
So there's going to be a market row which players can buy from. But one of the fun parts of this game is that when one of the stacks is depleted, players have the option to bring in a new stack of cards into the market. Before the game begins, there will be 12 additional stacks of cards, but they are only available to buy once one of the current market decks is depleted. And that, for the most part, is how the game flows. So players will be taking turns until someone reaches the end. I think what makes this game fun for me is how streamlined it is. I, I also like the fact that a lot of times players will reach the end on the same turn, which means tiebreakers actually matter. And then the other thing, it, it actually has a lot of good decisions you have through the game. When do you progress forward? When do you buy cards? Because even if you don't use a movement card to move, you can use it as a portion of currency to buy additional cards. Yeah, I, I like the deck building part of it. I'm a huge deck builder fan. Um, I like the map. You've got these decisions about where to go on the map. Am I going to head off to the right and go through the forest? Or am I going to head off to the left and go through the water areas? You know, it kind of depends on like what cards you think you're going to get coming up. Like if you know you have a lot of forest cards, I'd head that way. I think those decisions are really nice. But I also like... Uh, one, that it's quick. It's a really breezy, quick game. It's it's yep. just kind of, what is it, like 45 minutes? You feel like you're just, it's action-packed. You take your turn, you're quick, go, go, go. Um, I also think it's a great intro to, to like, deck building, you know, with a board, I guess. Like, it's a lot simpler than a lot of those other style games. I think it would, it's a really great family game. It'd be a good welcoming game. It, it's just nice, quick, breezy, um, but still satisfying. I didn't love that we all kind of completed at the same time. Cause I was like, Oh, I did it. I did great. I made it at the same time before everybody else, but then I still lost because everyone still took their turns and got there and their turn as well. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it all kind of like worked out in the end. We're all kind of landed at the same time. It's an interesting point that you bring that up. And part of it for me is oftentimes in racing games, I'm so far behind that it feels like, I feel like I just, I don't understand how the game works because I'm so far behind everyone else. I do like the fact that this is, it's a tight race game and it typically will come down, or at least the games I've played of it, they'll usually come down to, to a tiebreaker of some kind. Mm -hmm. And what happens is as you place the hexes, there's going to be these little dividers between each hex and those are going to be the main way that you deal tiebreakers. So if you have two of those and somebody else has one you both cross at the same time, like you will win because you have those two tiebreakers. And you got those from hitting, getting to that spot first. Right. It forces people to progress forward because you want to make sure you claim some of those because yeah. you want to make sure that you get to the end. And even when, uh, let's say a four player game, maybe two people cross, the other two are well within, you know, crossing the next turn. It's usually, you know, they may not necessarily have drawn well or something along those lines. So there's, there's a little bit of that. You still feel like you're there. You're, mm -hmm. you were just on the cusp. You don't feel so far behind. Yeah, I know I had a moment where I was really far behind and I kept drawing cards that I didn't need. I needed like a specific card to get past where I was. And so I had a couple of wasted turns, it felt like. But then within like one or two turns, I was way caught up because then I had gotten all my good cards and just like breezed, breezed on through. So it was kind of fun the way that it paced out a little bit with the deck building and the, the moving along the hexes. Yeah, the, it's it's definitely interesting that push and pull of when you move when you use your cards the market is cool because because you start off with six market stalls we'll call them market stalls you start off with six and they're all pretty basic one will give you additional you know machetes to move during through the forest other ones will give you paddles to move through the water different things like that 
but eventually those stacks will be depleted. And when they are, now you open yourself up to this other section of market cards. And the next person to buy is the one who decides which one comes down into that spot. Mm-hmm. So you can, it gives you this opportunity to be like, all right, out of these 12, which ones do I want to make sure are in this market row so I have available to me moving forward? And I think that's a really cool concept. Yeah, I like it. It's fun. It feels a little dated to me. I don't know if it's the artwork or the the style of the cards or the board. It feels a little chintzy and dated. That would be my only complaint. Funny you should bring that up because it has a... So this game came out in 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was nominated for the Spiel des Jahres and it lost. So it was a, it was a runner up. And uh, there's a new version that has come out with Vincent Dutrade artwork. Mm. And it looks beautiful. So nothing against this particular artist. Um, you know, nothing against Franz for his artwork in this game. I think the game overall was very functional and the artwork to me didn't seem that bad. But Vincent Dutrade has done the new version of it and it looks really, really good. All right, we'll get that one then instead. <laughs> Although you could probably get the Ravensburger one for cheap. You probably get it for like $10. No, it's good. I like it. I'm going to give it a seven. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think because it was so breezy and quick. That's why I liked it so much. It felt like a race. You're like, all right, I'm moving. All right, my turn. You know. So this is it, the year um, that it lost. It actually lost to King Domino. Oh. Which if it was a different year, it might turn out completely differently. But yes, uh, to... To give my rating, I'm also going to give this game a seven. I normally don't like racing games, and I've I've that's been well established throughout the course of this podcast. I'm not a big fan of racing games. This is one of those racing games that I actually kind of enjoy, especially if I know we're at a game night and we've wrapped up from somebody who's playing Golem and they have still have the last turn of four and they have another hour or whatever. We can quick set this up. We can get a game in real quick. Mm-hmm. And it feels, for the most part, it feels good. And I think... I think the fact that people are so close to the end that it gives you that tension of like, oh man, I'm so close. I'm so close. I'm so close. The The problem I have with the racing games is when you feel so far behind that you're just, you're just not like you, it's like you don't get the game. Yeah. That's the part yeah, that like really gets me. You're one card draw away, you know, one hand away from getting a really good turn and getting over that yeah. line and you can get there. And just because you think you're far behind doesn't mean you're not going to be able to catch up and get there mm-hmm. but you just won't have the tiebreakers which which is an interest that's a, one of those things that i think is an interesting decision because you, you like you want to buy the better cards but sometimes you want to push forward so you can get a tiebreaker yeah so yeah i would definitely recommend this game if you like deck building and or racing games i think they both do the thing pretty well as far as deck building it's pretty standard stuff but it's it's that familiarity that you have with it that i think is good And then, yeah, if you like the two of those put together, I think this is a good game. I would probably push you towards getting the Vincent Dutrait artwork. I I haven't played that particular copy, but just looking at the artwork of it looks really good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, give this game a shot. That is the quest for El Dorado. All right. Next, I want to talk about startups. And if you end up searching this on BoardGameGeek, it's one word. Startups is like one word. Um, so that'll help you find it. Yes. It's designed by um, Dune Sasaki, and he, they do the art as well as Hiroko Azumadi. It's published by the Oint Games. 
So this is an investment set collection area majority card game. Throughout the game, you're collecting cards to gain the majority of that company's share. Whoever has the most shares gets paid from the players who hold smaller shares per share that they own. So you want to have the most, but you got to be careful that someone doesn't secretly have a couple extra in their hand because the last thing you want to do is have a few thinking you have the most, but then you have to end up paying out. You also don't want to collect them all because then no one is paying you. And you don't want to tie because then nobody receives a payout unless you're trying to get the, the payout, unless you're trying to you know stop somebody else from winning. Uh, so five cards are ran randomly removed from play. Each player gets three cards into their hand. On your turn, you take a card, either from the draw pile or from the market, which will start to form as the game progresses. As you take a card from the draw pile, you have to put a chip down on all the cards in the market. Then on your turn, you have to play a card down. You can either put it in front of you as part of your portfolio, or you can put it face out into the market, uh, meaning you don't want that card. Okay, so here's the twist. If you own the most shares of any of the companies, you take the anti-monopoly chip. When you have this chip, you cannot take any of the company's shares from the market, but you also don't have to add capital chips onto those shares when you draw them from the when you choose to draw from the deck. What makes this game fun is the tension around what cards to keep in your hand, um, and then the, of when which cards you want to play in front of you, and which ones you want to get rid of. But you also don't want to like give them to other people. So there's just a lot of like fun tension about each turn that you make. Yeah, agreed. There, this is a stock game of tension, really, because at the end of the day, you're you're trying to secretly gain shares in companies almost in order to, to score points. And you want to make sure that you have the majority because then you can score a ton of points. So let's say I have pink shares. I have seven pink shares. Natasha has three pink shares and I have the majority. She now has to give me three chips, but they're going to be instead of worth one, they're going to be worth three. So that's an extra nine points, mm -hmm. which is a big deal, which is a big swing. I know. Well, I know like, so I know in one of the games we played, there was a, there was a player who was trying to take the majority from me. Mm -hmm. and wound up one share short to even tie me. So then mm -hmm. they ended up having to pay me a bunch of their chips, which was huge. It was a huge swing for me and for them because they ended up giving me, I don't know, like four chips. So now all of a sudden I have 12 extra points. They got rid of four chips. And now they don't have that much, you know, as far as points are concerned. So it, it became a real swing. So you have to, you really have to pay attention to what everyone's doing. And the game's small enough that, you as you guys are playing, like you're putting everything kind of in front of you, so the information's pretty easy to see and easy to gather. Mm -hmm. Except for the only thing that's unknown is the three cards that everyone keeps in their hand, and then they lay them down at the end. You have to lay those cards down. So the last thing you want to do is have cards that you know you're not going to have majority in, because you have to pay out. And but the nice thing is to like when somebody thinks that they have majority, and then bam, you lay your cards down, and you have majority. Now they have to pay you. That's kind of the fun. That is the fun, and that's also the part, for the most part, for me that knocks this game a little bit, is like you're you're setting yourself up, you're setting yourself up, you're setting yourself up, and like you've created this majority, and you're like, all right, perfect, and then somebody just comes along and like screws you over. Oh, see, that's what I like about it. If it wasn't for that, it wouldn't be fun. <laughs> and I don't typically like being screwed over, but you know that's coming. That's the whole point of the yeah. game, and you can pay attention if. Unless you hold on to your cards that from the very beginning of the game and you have a good idea what people have. Well, let's say draw. They obviously draw cards. But if they pick anything up from the market, then you know that's in their hand. So you yes, kind of like you want to play those cards. You want and then you want to hold on to the ones that you draw. 
but let's say you're playing a five player game you have to keep track of four other people's cards yeah but it's easy it's not that hard because there's only so there's only like eight companies you have to keep track of 12 cards in people's hands you don't have to keep track of all the cards only the ones that you care about you know and you know oh, like sure. who's okay. kind of eyeing your cards and yeah i think it's i think the, the puzzle of that is fun to figure out okay i can see what you're saying yeah okay sure mm-hmm. yeah i i guess i'll start with my um i'll go ahead and give you my rating because i thought the game i thought the game was kind of fun it was interesting but i also didn't like it's not one of those games that i think i'll want to come back to over and over again i'm giving it a five Oh really? It was a it was fine. the The tension of it was kind of cool. There's a cool like timing aspect of it. I'm not a fan of like getting screwed over at the end because I'm not like necessarily paying that close attention. That for me is not necessarily the fun part. Um. So yeah, five for me. It's it's okay. It's fine. I I disagree with you. I it's a sh- so this game is short. It takes about it ten is. minutes to play. There is a variant where you can play four rounds, and then there's a few extra rules in there about you know the winner and whatnot getting a couple extra chips i i really like it if it was any longer of a game i don't think i would like it i think it's a great filler game it's one of oink's best besides um our favorite one what's it scout. called scout um i think this game is really good it's really interesting it's but it's nice and short and that's what makes it fun so what are you rating it i'm rating it a seven got it okay i don't typically like these style of games but I like this one because it's nice and quick. Well, yeah, you don't like that stock market manipulation kind of mm-hmm. game, correct? And this is really very area control, obviously without a board. It's just the cards in front of you. And I don't like that part of it, but I like the three hidden cards and that you can end up, okay, I know they have one, so they're not a problem. And they have three, but they don't realize I've got two in my hand. You know what I mean? I like that part of it. Right. And then sometimes you can end up screwing yourself over because you're trying to get rid of the cards in your hand because you don't want to play them. You want to get mm-hmm. something else and you just end up not because it just doesn't like you can't play those cards. The game cards ends out or... as soon as somebody grabs the last card off the draw deck. Too, yeah, so it yeah, can. yeah. So then you just end up screwed and you're like, Ugh, I'm going to have to pay out for these even though I didn't want to pay out for these. Mm-hmm. But you didn't want to give them up. Yeah. It wasn't. It was fine. I like it. And I like the anti-monopoly card. Once you have majority, you can no longer take them, you know? So that's interesting. There's just a lot of, and you you eventually want to start taking those cards out of the market, even if you think somebody else has majority because they'll have a bunch of chips on them. You know, as you, if you draw a card, you have to place a chip on every single one. So now that I think that decision is really interesting. I think there's a lot of really good, interesting decisions in a quick 10, 15 minute game. Sure. All right. That's startups by Oink check it out i think it's worth worth checking out for sure that's going to wrap up our reviews for this episode we're going to take a quick break but when we come back you know what we're doing natasha we're doing it top 100 yep 20 through 11 oh these ones are gonna be so good these ones i'm really excited about actually is it is it a good list oh yeah it's really good (laughs) I'm, i'm excited to hear what it is so we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna be doing 20 through 11 Welcome back. It is time once again to continue on trucking with that board game shenanigans, top 100 games of all time, 2022 edition, numbers 20 through 11. You know the games are getting better. You know we're excited to talk about them. Before we get into that, 
we have to talk about how we came up with the list. I feel like oh, at this we point, <laughs> we should. If you're just now listening to these lists. Stop and just go back. <laughs> start at 100. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this real quick. This is what we did. We both made a list separate. Natasha took the list, combined them based on where they sat. They got a score. And then you would basically, if they were on two lists, you'd end up adding them together. And then they got reorganized based on that score. So if a game at one, like my our favorite game of all time, they would both get 99s. And if it was my 50, it would get 49 plus the 99. You add them together. That's a score. Then you repopulate the list. Yep. Very scientific. All pure math. It is. Yep. So we went and made sure the physics department made sure it was good. They said, mm-hmm. yes. You know, so, you know, all those people with the master's degrees in math, they said, you are good to go. Perfect. So yep. that's how we came up the list. Uh, reiterate, I don't know what the list is. I made my list. I gave it to Natasha. It was her gig. So if you guys have problems or anything like that, talk to her, not to me. So let's get into it. What's our 20? All right. Number 20. We just, we just mentioned it. It's our favorite oint game of all time. Scout. I love this game. And every single time I play it, I love it even more. It comes in at 18 for me. Bob, it comes in at 47. So he doesn't love it as much as me, but man, I just love a good card game. One, I like card games. I think they're quick, easy to set up, play them quickly. This one is just so much strategy. So you get a deck of cards. You cannot rearrange them. That's the twist of this game. They are double-sided. That's not the right word. They have a number on the top and the number on the bottom. So you can, the only decision you're making here is, do you want to have your cards up this way or do you want to flip them upside down and have them up that way? And so you pick whatever one you think is best based on the numbers there and then you just start playing cards without rearranging them and you want to you got to beat the person that just played a card so if they played one card you have to have a higher number if they played a pair you have to have a higher pair or a triplet um if they you can also play runs and you just have to have a higher run or more cards in the run and then you if you can't play a card you can take one of their cards add it to your hand when you add it to your hand you can add it to any spot you want so you can start to make your hand a little bit better um, the fun of the game and the strategy of the game is you take what you get because you don't get a choice there. And then you're plucking cards out of your hand to then make the cards that are left better and hoping to get like those pairs and the runs kind of to line up. So fun. I love it. It's such a cool game concept with that. And I'm really disappointed that this didn't win the Spiel Yards this this year. Uh, obviously, Cascadia won, but uh, and that's not great, but... I love Cascadia. I to me I think Cascadia deserves the win. Just because Do you like this game better? I think I like Cascadia. I don't know. I, I've been playing Scout more, so now I think I do like Scout a little bit more. But I think Cascadia is so interesting as well. They're both so good. I'm not I don't begrudge either one of them. This game is such a cool has such a cool timing element of it because sometimes you can beat the person who laid down some cards, but then you want maybe you want to take a card because then you can end up taking cards that you have a run of two on one side and a run of two. You get the perfect card. Now, all of a sudden, you have a run of five, which mm-hmm. can be really difficult to beat. But then you're also giving them points if you do that, and you're denying yourself points because if you beat it, you take their cards, their points. has such a cool push-pull, this like this tension of when do I play, when do I play these things, when do I start accumulating points, and it just works really well. I love it. If you're if you like card games at all, you've got to check out Scout. It's a small little box game. Doesn't take up hardly any room. It's low price because it's small. Yeah, I love it. 
It's Oink's best game. Scout, our number 20. All right, number 19. Bob just got me into this year, I think. It's Grand Austria Hotel. It comes in at 30 for me, so I like it a little better than you, actually. And 32 for Bob. We're real close there. This used to be probably a top 10 game for me, but it is it has gone down a little bit, partly because, again, I play it so much online, mm-hmm. you know, that it just I've I've just played it a ton. It's one of those games that's extremely tight. You only have so many moves throughout the course of the game, and there's so many things that you have to think about. Because you're essentially, you roll a set of dice in these, and the based on what value is on the dice, you get to do actions. Like you can get goods to, you know, serve to your patrons. You can, you know, prepare rooms. You can hire, you know, uh, hotel hands. You can move up the emperor track. And if you don't, if you ignore the emperor track, like that's bad, bad news bears. One of the things I will say is in real life, I will not play this game at four. It's I a little ref- long. It is long between turns like you wouldn't believe. If it were playing an online game, then I don't care just because it's, uh, I mean, you make a move and then you're, you wait for, you just let it be until it comes back, especially turn-based. That mm-hmm. I don't care about. But like in real life, man, even three, I'd have to be in the mood for. Two, I think, is where it really, really sings at. Yeah, that's fair. It's it's a long, it's thinky. There's a lot of decisions you're making. But there's a lot of fun things you're doing too. I love the, the the dice selection. You roll the dice and then whatever values they line up at, that's the, you can choose one of the dice and take that action depending on the number of dice that are there. Um, so turn order matters. Um, it's it's really, really good. Really interesting. Um, a little dated artwork, unfortunately. But other than that. Is it your buddy Clemens? It's my buddy Clemens, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just this like super doofus looking man on the front of the cover and i just don't like him he's like <laughs> i don't know i don't know what i don't like about him i don't like the guy on the cover he ruins uh, the whole box i don't know man the i think overall the artwork's pretty good the the no, it's uh, bad. the colors are bad everything about it's bad the patron cards are cool because they all have like unique names and everything like that and then the colors correspond to different rooms so there's uh Yellow, red, and blue, and they'll correspond to different rooms. But then you have green They're patrons. Primary colors too, like just—it's ugly. <laughs> it's ugly. It's it's. I think it's fine. I think there's a charm to it, but I mean, uh, it's charming. I love sure. how much Clemens Franz comes up. It's it makes me laugh. I think he's probably he has to have done the most board game art ever. I mean, probably right. It's I like mean, that's the thing. He's good. You know it's what? Functional. He's probably he's probably affordable. Unlike. Vincent Dutre, I bet you charges a ton of money, whereas Clemens Franz is like, yeah, I'll do it. And he's just like. <laughs> That's so offensive. <laughs> he, he, Clemens Franz is good at designing board game art because he's, yes. he does iconography really, really well. And you can understand his games. He's just, I just don't like his faces. Like, they're just doofy looking. I don't know. I do want to say, I do want to say, I like, Cle- I actually do like Clemens Franz's artwork. I think for there's something, there's a charm about it. And I'm not like I like saying he's I like bad his, at art um, or anything like that. I like his like nature stuff. Like he did Llama Land, and I thought that was pretty good. I think it's the people that I don't like the way he draws faces. Mm. He has a okay. very distinct, and it and it's just like the classic bland Euro face. He is the he is the face of Euro game just based on his artwork. Yeah, I mean he's done it all. I mean he, I mean he works with Uwe Rosenberg on all his stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I, I like I said, I'm, <laughs> I didn't mean to like discredit what he does. 
All right, all right. That's number 19, <laughs> Grand Austrian Hotel. Great game. Check it out. Yeah, Even good artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, number 18 is, I could argue, single greatest game ever made, Ticket to Ride. It comes in at 27 for me and 35 for Bob. Yeah. This game is just classic. I don't even know if there are people that are listening that haven't played Ticket to Ride. If not, stop what you're doing, go buy Ticket to Ride, and play it because it is such a classic, great game. It plays two to five very, very well. I play it two-player all the time. Um, it plays families, uh, a lot of people. It's easy to learn, it's just, but there's also so much tension, and that's what I love about it. Is like, oh, am I going to be able to play, you know, complete this route before the game ends? Tension, 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 and that's what I love. Ticket to Ride. I've often referred to this game as ha- being like deceptively have deceptive depth to it mm-hmm. because on the surface it seems pretty easy. You know, draw some cards, you know, play some, lay some trains down on some tracks, and everything like that. But the depth involved is which which tickets do I keep? Which when do I draw additional tickets? When do I move forward with my plan? Like when do I start laying tracks down? You know, when when am I doing all this? This timing element of everything like this. Mm-hmm. There is one person listening. I know he's listened to every single one of this. His name's John. John Pike. That you, buddy, John. Buy this game for your family and play this game. Uh, he's not a board gamer. He just listens. I just I just happen to know him outside of this. He listens to to our pod- podcast, but. He should buy this game and he should play this game. And that would be his his intro intro into board gaming should be Ticket to Ride. Just the Euro, uh, sorry, just the USA version. Do not buy anything fancy. Just the USA. Well, in the US, the US version I think does a good job of being mean enough where it's interactive, but not so mean that like you flip a table. Like Nordic countries, my wife almost like flipped the table on me because I took a route from her and she was pissed. And in the U.S., every now and again it comes up, but mm-hmm. not nearly as often as, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, a tighter map like that. Europe is probably the most free-flowing map, but I think Ticket to Ride, yes, it's it's issue replace Monopoly as a staple in everyone's home. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I like the expansions. I've played a few of them now, and I like them, but I still like almost always prefer just the base game because it's just quick, easy. And I just doesn't ever get stale and old for me. I'm, I've played it well over a hundred times because my son loves it so much. I played a lot of the different versions, but the US one is my favorite one. Yeah, that I've played it. I've shown so many people that game, and I just I just enjoy playing it. Like I'm I'm always thrilled to be able to get that to the table because it doesn't happen that often. It's not like I'm going to go to game night and bust out ticket to ride. Nobody's going to want to play that. You know, I mean, you could. I would have fun with it. You know what? Let's try it. I'm going to bring the next one of the next game nights. I'm going to bring Ticket to Ride and see who wants to play it. Okay, maybe not because I'm going to play the new stuff. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. See, that's what I'm talking about. But Ticket to Ride, yeah, 100%. I agree. This is, it's, it's very good. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. That was a number 18. Number 17, Tapestry. This is one of your favorite games. This comes in at 14 for you, Bob. For me, it's 47. I like it quite a bit. Um, I think the more I play it, the more I like it. Um, we'll see if we actually end up playing it. That's the problem. Yeah, I love this game. It used to be a top 10 game for me, and it's fallen just because it doesn't seem to get played nearly as often. I've I've talked about this game and how I was always frustrated that the civilizations weren't balanced, but then I also praised Jamie Stegmeier for going in and balancing them after he found, like, after he got back data saying that it wasn't balanced. So it's like that, it's the, it's 
two sides of a fence and it's, it's hard to like, like it's somewhat frustrating that I didn't get it, but I also give him a lot of credit for going back in there. So like I'm wishy-washy on it. Aside from all that, like I don't care. There's just something so cool about the game. Cause it's, it's simple. You're moving up four different tracks. If you get certain expansions, you get an additional track. You're just moving up and paying resources to take the actions. You have these little boards in front of you that you're filling out that like it just it everything about it feels good. You're constantly getting these income turns after you've exhausted everything. You get more based on putting out all these houses onto your like little uh, city map. It Everything about this game I really like. I just want to get to play it more. I just people don't seem to be interested in playing it. I think that's pretty divisive. I think it, it's not everybody's favorite. Yeah. I can see that. All right, that's 17 Tapestry. All right, number 16, The Castles of Burgundy. This is 16 for Bob, actually. Ah, it's your number 16, and it's my number 36. I really like this game. And Bob, yep. I know you and your wife do, and you guys are just went at the Kickstarter, the the newest one, the deluxe yes. one. Yeah, the super amazing deluxe Awaken Realms game. This is Steffenfeld's best game by far, I think. yeah. You roll some dice, and with those dice, you gotta you draw some tiles, and you're placing tiles into your you know your little duchy. It's very classic, old school, old school Euroy, but it still holds up, and it's still good. It's just really ugly, terrible components. Even the newest one is not any better. Now they have this ridiculous deluxe version. Like, why can't they just make like a regular version that's nice? <laughs> They tried with that 20th anniversary edition and it was hot garbage. It sucked. I hated it. I didn't like the, they switched up the way the buildings looked. And maybe part of it is I've played so many games of it. Like I, when I see the building, I already know what the building does. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need Mm -hmm. to reference it because I've, you know, I've just, I've played the the game enough. One is better. I disagree with Bob, but, but it's not like that much better. No, I don't think so. I don't think it's that much better. But the good news, you can get this game for like $20, and it's a pretty decent game for $20. It's an amazing game for 20 bucks. Yeah. This is this is a phenomenal game. You roll some dice, you got to do some stuff with that dice. You're always trying to get additional actions. It feels good when you close off a grid. So you have this hexagonal grid, and you as you're placing tiles out and you finish off a section, you get a bunch of points from finishing off that section. Yeah, a lot of fun. I really yeah. like this game. Really good at two, too. It's a good two-player game. Is it? I don't think I've played it at two. Our number 16, The Castles of Burgundy. All right, number 15, Dinosaur Island. This is Bob's number 10. For Mm -hmm. me, it comes in at 41, and I don't think it would have hit my top 100 if we had not played it again within the last year. Because when I played it with you, I enjoyed it so much. When I first played it, the first few times I played it, we played a short version, and I strongly disliked this game. But since playing it with you, I really enjoyed it again. This game offers three different versions that you can play. Short, medium, and long games. Never, ever, ever play the short game. It just doesn't feel like you've done anything. Mm-hmm. By the time you make a dinosaur, it's done. It just it ends at the end. Like I prefer shorter versions that start in the middle. This yes. short version starts at the beginning and then cuts you off. So you, cu- you get cut off before you get to accomplish anything. So yep. you end up with this huge park that's completely empty with like two dinosaurs in it. Yeah, it just just doesn't feel good. I mean, it can be fast, but mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel like you've accomplished that much. And we both like this game more than Dinosaur World. Which I think we're in the minority of. I think for the most part, people like Dinosaur World better. 
I just don't. This game just does it it hits much better for me than Dinosaur World did, which is disappointing. I really wanted, wanted to like, to like Dinosaur. Dinosaur World. I did. It was, you know, it came from obviously the same um company. It was supposed to be, you know, Dinosaur Island 2.0 that like ugh. And I really wanted to like it. I just, I just didn't. Yeah, if I you're interested didn't. in this game, you can probably get it for a good deal now that it's older. So they kickstarted this game originally, and you got a bunch of cool different dinosaur meeples when you kickstarted it. And then the generic retail version, just you had generic uh, dinosaur meeples. But then the newer versions that they're releasing have the more unique dinosaur meeples in it. Hmm. I want to say you can buy them from Pandasaurus, but. I I got for Christmas one year upgraded dinosaur meeples for it, so that's what I have now. Uh, see, I think I'd like I'd be fine with just the original without the upgraded ones because when you have the specific ones, then when you play that specific dinosaur, you grab those specific meeples. Cool and it's cute, but it's kind of a pain for setup and like you have to find it all. Or if you have just generic dinosaurs that represent all the dinosaurs, you just grab them, put them on your board, they function just fine. Yeah, done. Done and done. Yep. All right. Anyways, great game. Um, if you don't get the first time, I'd still recommend giving it a second go. I I enjoyed it quite a bit when we played. I think it was just the two of us, too, that played it. It was just two-player. I enjoyed it quite a bit. That's Dinosaur Island, our number 15. All right, number 14. Also another one of Bob's that he loves that he got me into. This is Pulsar 2849, and I know that because I've got it written down. Otherwise, I would have never known those numbers. My only complaint with this game, why did they name it? 20 2849 so random i don't know it's the year i i I don't get it uh it comes in at 31 for me and 15 for bob this i think this might be one of my favorite vladimir Suchi games i don't know if there's another one higher than this from my list that i really like the theme the space theme's cool it doesn't necessarily it could be themeless honestly but you roll dice and you're drafting dice and the there's a cool concept of Depending on where you draft the dice from, it you'll end up moving two different tracks. One track gives you like these resource cubes, which allow you to buy additional dice, or it gives you like turn order. So even when you're drafting dice, there's additional decisions to make, which I really, really love about this yes. game. So you roll the dice, and then you find the median die, and then you place this marker. And if you draft below that, you move forward on the track. If you draft above it, you move backwards. And you get to pick pick which track you can do. I think that. That overall system's really unique, and yes. I really enjoy that. I haven't seen other games do that. It's really what makes this game so good, I think. I think the theme is, I like space theme, but the, there's no space theme in this. It's just a blackboard with some other tracks and, and iconographies. It's really very Euro-y, themeless. Yes. But the dice management, the dice, the way that they, they function, where you can take the high dice, but you're going to be punished for it, but then your action's going to be way better. I love that. Well, and it, your decisions aren't necessarily like, okay, yes, I'm always going to get punished. Maybe not, because if you've taken a bunch of low dice and you've pushed forward and you're far ahead compared to the other people, maybe you, you take, take that it. high die. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you it's not necessarily a punishment because other people aren't forcing that punishment on you. Or it's just worth it because you're yeah. going to get a six and that six is going to do a lot for you. Yeah. It's really, really good. Uh, simple turns, very few choices, or very few um, things that there's tons of choices, but very few to do on your actual turn. You yeah. know, yep. I really like it. That's Pulsar 2849, our number 14. All right, our number 13 is Azul. 
This comes in at 20 for Bob and 25 for me. I think that's another classic. Like, like there's tickets to ride, then there's Azul. I think it's kind of crept up there. Yeah, I would say so. This is more abstract, um, but just nice, beautiful tiles that just make it so fun to play. Yeah, you're drafting tiles. You're building a mosaic. It's There's a lot of cool things. You can end up screwing people over when you're uh when you're drafting but you can kind of figure that out i think i like this one the best out of all of the versions mm-hmm. you know there's Basically, a ton of versions the original. But yeah the og original is still the one i prefer i play it a ton i play with my son a lot it's great two player plays good at four to up up to four but it's just it's it's easy to get out set up play around play a game or two it's fun um, it's thinky. Every time you play it, you're still making really good choices. You, there's no like straight path to victory where like once you figure out the game, you're, you figure it out. It just plays over and over so good. Another classic one I think most people should own. Our number 13, Azul. All right, number 12. One of Bob's favorite again. This is comes in at 13 for him and it's 53 for me and that's Hadara. I love this game so much. This game's so good. You're drafting some cards like that. Oh, man, like it's so good. We recently reviewed this too. You grab some cards. You have to do something with one of them. The other one you put down into a pile, which can be available later on in the turn, like later on in the era for you to like potentially get. Uh, and with those cards, you can throw them away kind of like seven wonders and get money for it. Or you can put them into your tab, your tableau, increasing like one of the four tracks that you're climbing. You got to make sure you have enough food to feed your people. If you don't, you end up getting screwed over. Natasha felt that hard, mm-hmm. the, like the first game she played. It's it's so quick. It's so it's so fun. I think teaching it's pretty easy. Yeah, I I love this game. Yeah, that is Hadara number twelve. All right, number eleven is one of my favorites. This is Caverna the Cave Farmers. It comes in at fifteen for me and twenty seven for Bob. This is a classic uh, Lee Rosenberg game based on Agricola, same kind of components, but but not near as punishing. It's a huge, big game with lots and lots of wooden bits. Uh, you've got worker placement. You go out to these spots. You, you're going to build out your cave, um, build, you know, plow the forest down and build out farms. And then you can either grow vegetables or you can put fences up and hold animals. I just love this game so much. It's not my favorite uh, Uwe game, but... I definitely like it. And the thing is, because of this game, I've never played Agricola because I've heard of how much Agricola is punishing. Yeah, you don't need to. Yeah, Caverna is way better. It's like Agricola, but fun. But I like Agricola, <laughs> but this is like funner. <laughs> it's like Agricola. <laughs> if you so like, like there are people that love really tight punishing games, then yes. Agricola would be better for you. Some people yep. do like that. Yeah, I really I enjoy this game. It's uh it, it's a cool concept. I like the fact that you can you don't have to do everything. It encourages you to try, mm-hmm. but you don't actually have to. Yeah, you lose a point or two if you don't. Yeah. Get like one of every animal. Yeah, it's really good. Uh that is our number 11, Caverna the Cave Farmers. All right, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to Our Shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to finish up the top 100. Woo-hoo. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week.